it's good to be back. Kent, I appreciate uh, you preaching. And uh, every time Kent preaches when I'm, when I'm gone, he always says, you know, um, if you're visiting here, I'm not the real guy. I'm not a paid professional Christian. I'm just Kent Wilcox, you know, um, high-tech nerd um, who <laughs> loves God. And, and, and if you want to hear the real thing, come back next week because the guy who usually does this is, is good and you'll like that. And, and, but the reality is uh, you're awesome. And um, we, <laughs> yeah. I know you hate it when I do this, but we appreciate that. And uh, I listened to your sermon, and I, I want to talk to you about a couple of things, but for the most part. <laughs> did you honestly mention Metallica? Yeah. Who, who would know? Well, I want, to, uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. And, uh, and, and as I speak to you, I want you to kind of take the posture of, um, of interacting with me. I know sometimes in, in preaching it's, a, it's sort of a, a, of a one-way thing. But it doesn't need to be that way. And I want you to, to, to ask these questions. And I want you to prayerfully consider the kinds of things that we're going to talk about this morning. And listen, and here, here's the question. Why is it that most of us, I was going to say why is it that all of us, but I know that would be offensive to some of you. Why is it that most of us pray only when we're desperate or only when we have nowhere else to turn? Why is that? Why is it that prayer for so many of us seems to be an afterthought, a reaction to a crisis, a reaction to pain, to difficulty in our lives, rather than a forethought, rather than a preemptive action. What is it about us that makes us almost seem to avoid prayer? Soldiers pray in battle. It says there's no atheists in a foxhole. People pray who find themselves in troubled marriages. We pray for our wayward children. We pray for our friends and our family members who are struggling. We pray when we receive news from the doctor that we or someone that we love has cancer. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we have exhausted all of our personal resources, we instinctively pray. We're like people who are gasping for their last breath. Or we're like the person who falls and grabs wildly to hold on to something to break their fall. That's how we treat prayer. It's not bad to pray in times of crisis. In fact, I would suspect that some of us find it easier to pray at other times rather than in crisis. It's natural. In fact, one of the most amazing truths about God is this. He accepts us. He hears and he responds to our prayers even when we turn to him as a last resort. Even when prayer is an afterthought, God hears and he responds to us. That is called grace. How can I possibly pray? I haven't prayed in this long. If I turn to God now and pray, he'll laugh at me. That's not God. That's not who God is. God is passionate about a relationship with us. And he receives us. He welcomes us. He welcomes our prayers, even our desperate prayers. Desperate prayers, crisis prayers, have been the beginning of the spiritual life for many, many people. In fact, I bet that some of you sit here this morning remembering that you began your faith journey because you cried out to God in a time of difficulty and pain. You know what it's like. Things are so difficult sometimes that you say, God, if you'll just get me through this, I promise I will do this. Right? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, just help me long enough and I'll do this. But we dare not fall into this pattern of praying like this. Only when we're in crisis or in pain. Only when we've exhausted all of our resources. Only when we've come to the end of ourselves. 
We need to avoid that sort of pattern. It's an all too common pattern. And it seems to me that it exposes something very clearly. It exposes what we really believe, most of us, about prayer. And that is that we aren't convinced that prayer really changes anything. We aren't convinced. If we're honest, most of us would admit that our prayers really don't seem to change us, nor do they seem to change God's actions in any objective way. So often we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and things seem to remain the same. Is that not true? Is it possible that we don't believe that prayer really affects us or God? Aren't most of us convinced that everything in the universe is set? Don't most of us believe that the universe is really both unchanging and unchangeable? And don't we really believe that God himself is not only unchanging and unchangeable, but moreover that he's fundamentally unapproachable? This is simply the way things are, and the best I can do is acquiesce to God's will and just accept my lot in life. This person will never change. I will never change. This will never happen. God, that must be your will, so I'm not even going to pray about it because it's just the way it is. That's our theology, many of us. This is the way it is. And the best I can hope for is to get through this life unscathed on some level, alive perhaps, but things are as they are. Do you ever catch yourself asking, why pray? What difference will it make if I pray? I've prayed about this for so long, I'm tired and nothing's changed. Isn't it less painful? Isn't it easier on some level to simply accept things as they are? and say, God, I guess this is just the way it is. This is how Dallas Willard describes the struggle that we find ourselves in. Listen carefully to this. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess faith in Christ. Are you haunted at times by that thought that your prayers don't have any effect? That you're sort of going through the spiritual gymnastics exercise that somehow because you've been told that it's good for you or that it's good for the church or something that will make you feel better. I remember I was shocked when I was in my 20s and I was meeting with this friend of mine who was an older believer and we were talking about prayer and we were talking specifically about prayer in, in light of a ministry that we were involved in. And he said, you know, I have to be honest with you. I don't think that it really matters. He said, you know, God has already had it figured out anyway. And so the best that we can do is just sort of get in line with what's going to happen. But, but do you really believe that by our prayers that, that, that things will fundamentally change? And I said, I do believe that. I have to believe that. And it's not surprising that while I was in seminary, I ran into some professors, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that, who didn't necessarily believe that either. But sure, God interacted with these people at this time in this way, but that was then. And you're not Abraham, and you're not Moses, and you're not Peter and James and John, and you're not Mary, and you're not... So God responds differently to you. When we turn to the Bible, we discover that its teaching on prayer <laughs> leads overwhelmingly to a very different conclusion about prayer. We can talk about it, we can share our feelings about it, but when we turn to Scripture and we look at examples of prayer, the conclusion is very different. And this is it. Prayer does change things. Prayer does make a difference. Prayer does change us, 
And prayer does change God's actions. That's what Scripture affirms from beginning to end. It makes a difference. The Bible is filled with accounts of men and women who prayed. They believed that their prayers could and would objectively change things and change people. They prayed as though their lives depended upon it. And guess what? They did. When they prayed for their daily bread, they meant it. These people prayed knowing that their prayers would in fact change God's actions, that God would listen and respond. The first extended prayer that's recorded in the Bible is a wonderful example of exactly what I'm talking about. It's the account of Abraham pleading with God, some would say bargaining, haggling with God to spare the town of Sodom. It's in Genesis 18. You may or may not be familiar with the story, but there's a couple of things that are striking about Abraham's prayer or his conversation with God. It's the way that he marshals his argument. It's the way that he builds his case. It's the way that he approaches the Lord. And it's a wonderful account to read. He clearly believes that he's talking, Abraham does, to a person whose course of action can truly be affected by what he says. You can't read this account and not believe that. This isn't some sterile, churchy prayer. This is sincere, heartfelt conversation with God. And I suggest that it serves as a model of how we should pray. And I suggested that on a paper that I wrote in seminary to which the professor disagreed and my grade reflected the disagreement on that. I suggested that this is a model of prayer. This is how we should pray. He didn't agree. I don't care. I still believe this. You may remember the story, right? Abraham bargains with God. goes back and forth. Sodom was a wicked place. God was going to destroy it. And Abraham goes to God and he says, will you spare Sodom based on the number of righteous people that you find in the city? So he begins with 50, right? Yahweh, if, if there's 50 righteous people in this city, will you spare the city? God says, sure. But Abraham continues to whittle the number down. 40, 30, 20. And then, in verse 32, Abraham says, I love this, Lord, you can just see this, may you not be angry. One more time, I've got to ask you, but let me speak just one more time. What if only ten can be found there? And the Lord answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy Sodom. The moral to the story, is, and one writer came up with this, is that it pays to haggle with God. When was the last time you haggled with God? Oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. When was the last time you pleaded? Got rid of all the language that we use, the these, the thous, the beseech thee, and just raw before God. That's what this is. Somebody said that this is more of an example of a dickering at a Middle Eastern bazaar than it is some sort of churchy prayer, right? It pays to haggle with God. And this person goes on to say that the Bible here and elsewhere knows nothing of prayer as polite monologue. I love that. That's how we pray, isn't it? Polite monologue. Instead, prayer is direct, it's simple, it's impertinent, it's persistent, and it's shameless. We lay ourselves bare before God. And the truth is, prayer changes things. None of us know how many people have been helped because we've asked God to encourage them, or to protect them, or to heal them. How many spiritual prodigals have come home because you and I have prayed for their souls? I know that people prayed me back into the kingdom. None of us will ever know the true effects of our prayers this side of heaven. I think one of the most amazing conversations that could happen 
is when we get there someday, and I don't know if it happens like this, you know, I'm just wondering, it would be great if it did, right? We, you know, you talk about all the questions being answered. We, we'll know fully, I mean, you believe that. But we could ask God, or we could meet people, and we could see that there were actually people there because we prayed. Maybe God is just gracious enough to give us that gift someday. I was talking to somebody this week, and uh, I said, what, what do you think about as you sort of close in on the end of your life? And he said, you know, I, I don't think about what it's like to die. He said, I, I wonder what heaven is like. And uh, I said, really? He said, yeah. Um, he said, I don't really know. And uh, I said, well, I think that it is far more amazing than anything we could ever imagine. And um, maybe this is part of it. Maybe some of these questions that we carry around, these people that we've cared about, it'll all be clear someday. You and I sit here today because people prayed and pray for us. That's the truth. Someone's praying for you and for me. John Ortberg, pastor and author, this is what he said about prayer. This is powerful. The prayers of real human beings like you and me, he says, interrupt heaven. What? That is, the activity in heaven stops so the prayers of the saints, of you and I, can rise before God. And if you don't believe this is true, read the 8th chapter of the book of Revelation. Heaven comes to a standstill so that God can hear and respond to our prayers. That's an amazing truth. Our prayers, in fact, influence God's actions. He listens and he responds. And as someone much smarter than me said, in the end, history doesn't belong to the rich and the famous and the powerful. It belongs to those who believe and pray the future into being. It belongs to people who are intercessors, who pray for others, for the world. That's who history belongs to. You should find this truth liberating. I did. And you should find it terrifying. It places tremendous responsibility on us. You see, prayer is no longer just an added extra. It's what we do. It's what we have to do. It's what we should want to do. We're working with God to determine the future. Have you ever thought about it that way before? I think that's what Paul was getting at when he told the Corinthians that they were co-laborers with him. See, not just in the work of the ministry of doing things, but of bringing the future to pass. Certain things, specific things, will take place if we pray. If we pray. We can change ourselves, the church, our community, our world, if we pray. But you know, prayer doesn't happen automatically. Right? It's not easy. In fact, of all the spiritual practices, I believe that prayer is not only the most difficult, but I believe it's the one that causes us the most guilt. And this is why. Here's how we think. If I really love God, if I really have faith, Shouldn't prayer flow out of me effortlessly? Shouldn't it just happen? Isn't that the natural consequence? It doesn't happen that way. As we'll discover next week, prayer is anything but effortless. Even Christ's disciples, those who walked with him, who slept with him, who cried with him, they needed to learn how to pray. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And like them, we're all beginners when it comes to prayer. We always will be. But we need to get in the game to get into the process. We need to roll up our sleeves and learn to pray. We need to establish some consistent patterns of prayer that will sustain our spiritual lives and enhance our community. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week. How do we do that? How do we do that? So please be here and uh, pray this week. You know, not these sterile, churchy prayers. Be honest and real with God. You can do that. God welcomes that. Amen.